Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the Fraud and White Collar Crime Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Gene Talsk, and today we're going to start a multi-episode podcast um, about con artists, and we're specifically going to be relating to a book by psychologist Maria Konikova called The Confidence Game, which is a really, really, really great book. I highly recommend it. It's about, obviously, the confidence game, con artists, and how they play their games and get their marks and get their money. And it's really an interesting breakdown of the psychology of both con men and their victims. So I highly recommend it. Once again, the game the book is called The Confidence Game by Maria Konikova. Nice Russian name. And it once again, I can't recommend it highly enough. So... We're going to start talking about the basics of a con game and how a con man, once again, as I said, it's a con man or con woman, but for the sake of brevity in these podcasts, I will simply be using the term con men. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. We're going to be talking about the breakdown of a con operation, how the various steps in a con game. And I think it's important when we're talking about how people are, for lack of a better term, conned by con artists, it's important to break down how the system works. Con artistry, con games are like any other facet of human interaction. You can break it down into its various steps, its various elements. I talked about this a little bit on the first episode, but I think it's important when we're talking about how con games work, how we can break them up into their various subsection, subsections, section subsections, and various elements. And if we're going to do that, I think it's important, obviously, to start at the beginning. So, once again, referencing uh, Dr. Konikova's excellent work, we're going to talk about the grifter and the mark, which is to say how a grifter, how a con man looks for his or her victim. And I want to repeat something I said in the first podcast, which is that People who are the victims of cons are not stupid people. They're, as I said, I've worked a great deal with both people who have committed white-collar crime and victims of white-collar crime, and I've never found somebody who I thought was stupid. They're just victims, and anybody can become a victim of fraud. There's no magic barrier or magic circle which prevents somebody from becoming a victim of a fraud or a con game. Um, con artists develop their skills like any other talent over a period of years. Nobody is really born with this, although I think some people are more um, able to perform cons. But um, it's a like any other skill, it takes time to develop. It takes time to work at it. And like any other skill, if you work at it long enough, sooner or later, you're eventually going to get good at it. And this is the situation here where we have a con artist who develops his skill and eventually is able to put it to good use, at least good use for him. His victims may have another feeling about that. But a con artist, as I said, is just somebody who's developed a particular set of skills. And the victims of cons are people who sometimes they're at a low point in their lives and are exceptionally vulnerable. Sometimes they're at a point in their lives where they just don't know what's going on. Sometimes... Um, People just really don't have a, let me put it this way. 
it's sometimes difficult to notice when you're being conned. And once again, that's the whole point of a confidence scheme, a con scheme. You're the victim of it, but you don't know you're the victim of it. And that's what um, that's what makes it all the more, from my perspective, interesting, but also from other perspectives, you know, somewhat frightening in that how do you know you're a victim? And usually in the end, you don't know you're a victim until your money is gone or you're left with your life savings completely withdrawn. So um, let's start with talking about the beginnings of a con, and that is the grifter and the mark. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen the excellent, excellent movie, The Sting, with uh, the late Paul Newman and Robert Redford, also the late Robert Shaw, and a bunch of really, really talented actors. And the movie talks about, the whole theme of the movie is basically one giant con game. It takes place in the 1930s in Depression-era Chicago, and the entire movie revolves around Newman and uh, Redford's characters as they engage in this massive con against a very vicious and violent gangster played by, um, his name escapes me now, but anyway, um, the victim of this con is someone who we really feel very little sympathy for. Uh, I'm sorry, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw plays the victim of this con. It's somebody who, the target of this is somebody we feel very little sympathy for as he is, as I said, a very vicious and violent gangster and the first opening moments of the movie display just what a vicious person he is. But the movie goes into a great detail into how this con is perpetrated and how um, the characters Newman and Redford play eventually gain the confidence of uh, Robert Shaw's character and are able to use this to their advantage to basically swindle him out of quite a bit of money. So um, if you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend it. I think it actually won quite a few Academy Awards, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it has a great, great soundtrack. Um, and uh, I said it's highly recommended. So let's talk for a minute about how, um, how a con artist or how a grifter, as Dr. Konikova states it, you know, finds their mark. And one of the most important aspects of someone who is going to, who is a con artist or somebody who develops skills as a con artist or somebody who um, wishes to become a con artist, um, people like that generally are very narcissistic individuals. And narcissistic individuals, obviously by the very virtue of the word, tend to think a great deal of themselves. And they have a, what we call a sense of grandiosity, entitlement, self-enhancement, an overly inflated sense of self-worth self and manipulativeness. Somebody who feels they can do no wrong. And Dr. Konikova um, used the word Machiavellian quite a bit in describing them, and I completely agree with her. Um, Machiavellianism, uh, basic definition of that is somebody who believes the ends justify the means. It's attributed to Niccolo Machiavelli, Machiavelli, a 15th century Italian who wrote a very famous book called The Prince. And he describes how basically um, a prince, a ruler, is to gain the trust and confidence of his people in order to effectively rule them. Um, it's an interesting book. I highly recommend it. But um, Machiavellianism has come down to believe to the definition of somebody who believes the ends justify the means. Um, 
so somebody who is extremely narcissistic um, is also somebody who has a very Machiavellian personality. Somebody who can justify his actions and saying, well, what I'm getting out of it justifies how I do it. Um, now, whether or not that's actually true or not for all con artists or for all white-collar criminals is a matter of debate, but I think it's certainly well within a standard definition that if you're going to be somebody who is going to con other people, who's going to exploit the weaknesses, the psychological and sociological weaknesses of other people, you definitely have a very loose sense of morals. I think that's a very basic statement. I don't think anybody would argue with that. And furthermore, you're the kind of individual who believes that um, you're entitled to it. Uh, if you're going to engage in this kind of behavior, then you're the kind of person who takes the position that, well, I'm entitled to it for X and Y reason. And once again, we're getting into a concept here where not only are con artists narcissistic, Machiavellian, but also we would most people would argue that they tend to be kind of psychopathic, sociopathic. They tend to view people not as independent human beings who have their own thoughts, feelings, emotions, whatever, but they're basically things to be manipulated. And we're, we're going to get into that, of course, in later episodes. Remember what I said at the beginning of my podcast, that we're going to take a holistic view of fraud and white-collar crime. We're not going to view it from the legal point of view, the sociological point of view, the psychological point of view, um, economics. We're going to view it from the standpoint of the perpetrators and the victims. But if we're going to look at the person who is perpetuating this kind of fraud, I think it's worthwhile at least spending a few minutes discussing what kind of people do this. Now, there's something I want to make clear at this point in time. I don't know, certainly at this point in um, psychology and uh, neurosciences, neurosciences and um, uh, psychiatry and any of the sciences that deal with the science of human behavior. I don't think it's possible to pinpoint somebody and say, aha, well, this person is a, is a con artist. As I said, a con artist is somebody who's developed his skills over uh, period of time. It's not, you may be born with certain inclinations that can lead you to um, engage in um, cons and in, in behavior that will enable you to take advantage of the weaknesses of others. And when I say weaknesses, I don't mean somebody who's weak, just somebody who has psychological tics that can be exploited. So I don't think it's possible to say, okay, this person is a con artist or will become a con artist because it's a skill you develop any more than you can say just because somebody has a particular set of reflexes or it's a physical strength or um, has a great deal of pain tolerance that this person is going to become a boxer or an MMA fighter. It's a skill set that you have to develop, even if you're born with those set of characteristics. But I think it is, at the same time, it is worth mentioning. And I think it is worth stating that certainly if you're going to engage in this kind of behavior, you have to have um, a certain set of for lack of a better term, qualities within you that prevent you from empathizing with your fellow human beings. And I'd like to um, point out a portion of Dr. Kanikova's work where she's talking about a gentleman named James Fallon, who it's quite remarkable. He just, as Dr. Kanikova says, he discovered he was a psychopath by accident. Um, Mr. Fallon had been running projects um, concerning Alzheimer patients and he was scanning the brains of Alzheimer patients. And as part of his uh, research, he scanned his own brain. And he found that much of his surprise that uh, his own brain scans tend to have the same 
or similar patterns of those of psychopaths. And of course, it's probably caught him by surprise. But um, what's interesting is that when he asked his friends and family, hey, do you think I have these behaviors? They were the first to say, well, yes, you do. You have these behaviors, which um, quite frankly, make you a psychopath. And this individual, Dr. Fallon, was able to use his skills for, I guess you could say, the greater good um, and then research into this area. But it goes to what I was saying earlier, just because somebody has these pre uh, preponderances, in this case, Dr. Fallon had these preponderances towards um, psychopathic behavior, that doesn't mean you're going to engage in being a con man or engage in being a white collar criminal. But um, as Dr. Fallon's research is developing, and as Dr. Kanikova points out here in her book, it is interesting to note that um, if you're going to engage in the behavior of being a con man, you have these in already set propensities or set patterns of behavior where you don't tend to view other human beings as human beings. You tend to view them as marks or targets or something you can use for your own exploitation, something con artists can use for their own exploitation. Now, there's also a line in um, Dr. Kanikova's book, which I think is extremely interesting, which is, she states, grifters are made when predisposition and opportunity meet. And I find that to be exactly true. Um, if somebody is, already has the predisposition to develop into a white-collar criminal or into a con artist and um, develops his skills, then it goes to stands to reason that if somebody is going to develop their skills in this field and they're also going to use their skills once they develop them, they already have a predisposition towards using them. And now with the skills they develop, they will use them. So um, what's, what I find interesting about the behavior of um, white-collar criminals, the behavior of con men, is that they take this, they're already internal tendencies to towards psychopathic behaviors and they develop them. And once again, to use the, um, the, uh, the example I said earlier, it's as if somebody who's already um, has physical strength, mental strength, has a good tolerance for pain, is going to use those skills and push them in the direction, say, of combat sports, such as boxing, MMA, Taekwondo, what have you, so that um, skills that are already there can be developed. So... I guess if you're going to look at if the argument goes that our psychopaths, scratch that, if um, our con artists, our white collar criminals born, not made, well, a little of both. Um, you have to, I think it's safe to say you have to start off having the temperament for a white collar criminal, um, become a white collar criminal, and you can develop those skills. Once again, um, when we're talking about the individual who... Dr. Fallon, James Fallon, who discovered that he was, did have psychopathic behaviors. He did not become a white collar criminal. He did not become somebody who engaged in grifter operations or white collar crime or um, becoming a con man. He realized what he was predisposed towards and actually used his skills towards researching um, how this, how, how these things occur. But uh, Dr. Fallon is somewhat of a minority in these fields. He's somebody who realized his predisposition and used it to develop his scientific talents, whereas many people who have these predispositions will use them to take advantage of other people. So you have in the con artist, you have in the white-collar criminal, a predisposition which develops, um, uses which he develops into being able to take advantage of other people. 
I want to back up for a minute and talk once again about the victims of crimes, the victims of white-collar crimes. And once again, to use Dr. Kanikova's title, The Grifter and the Mark, um, you have to, if somebody is going to take engage in white-collar crime, if somebody is going to engage in this kind of behavior, if somebody is going to engage in taking advantage of people, well, they have to have somebody who they're going to prey upon. In other words, they have to um, have the their targets. Um, if you're going to be a burglar, for example, most burglars will not waste their time burglaring poor people. I mean, what's the point? Why would you go rob a house where there's nothing there? You're already facing a great deal of jail time for these behaviors, so why would you waste them and not try and get something from it? Now, that's not to say that poor people can't be preyed upon by burglars. Of course they are. But generally, um, somebody wants to gain something from their from their actions. And in this case, a white collar criminal, a grifter, a con man wants to gain, he wants to make economic gains from his abilities. So generally they're going to prey upon people who um, they feel not only will they be able to be successful in their actions, but also they're going to get something from it. Um, so what is the target of a con man? What is the target of a grifter? Well, um, clearly somebody who either grifter believes ha has money or the grifter believes has money. Um, once again, what's the point of using your skills if you're not going to get anything from it? Now, let me back up here for a second, and I want to point out something. Um, Dr. Kanika relates this in her book, and also I've um, in the readings I've done on the subject, and quite frankly with the interviews I've had with some people, um, Grifters tend to, white collar criminals tend to get a thrill out of what they're doing. They have, uh, not only are they doing this because they feel they can gain, make economic gains from their actions, but also because they really, really enjoy it. Now, that may seem kind of perverse, but I think if you look at it from their point of view, it sort of makes sense. I mean, after all, most of us in our lives, we try to develop a skill set. And once we develop a skill set, we naturally want to use it. Uh, for example, uh, as a lawyer, it, I went to, through law school like every other lawyer, took the bar. That was a fun experience. Not. Um, I worked in several trials. I um, built up my skills, and it's safe to say I'm proud of where I am. I like to use my skills as a lawyer. I'm happy that I'm able to use the skills that I put so much time and money and effort in investing in. Well, the same goes for most people. You tend to develop skills, and you want to use them. Well, the same, of course, would be true for a white-collar criminal or for a con man. Why not? If you're developing these skills, don't you want to use them? And when you add this behavior, this, this skill set with the fact that most white-collar criminals have these psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies, then there is, of course, an internal thrill you get from using them. Um, so there's the, I guess you can say from what I've read on the subject, and I think Dr. Kanikova would agree with me, you have two, two basic goals of the white collar criminal. First of all, you want to, you know, obviously gain something from your talents, but also there's a certain thrill involved in using the talents that you've acquired. Remember going back to the beginning, you have to, um, I think what it goes without saying white collar criminals are born, but just because you're born with certain tendencies doesn't mean these um, become a, become a, to become a grifter or a con man, these skills automatically come to you. You have to work for it. And so the white collar criminal 
feels the thrill and not only getting the re economic reward from his actions, but also just being able to use and display his abilities. Um, one thing I wanted to point out here, um, once again, this comes from Dr. Kanika of his book, which I find very interesting. You know, white collar criminals are, in a sense, imposters. They pretend to be something they're not. That's the whole point. They pretend to have your best interests at heart. They pretend to be looking out for you. They pretend to be able to um, do something for you. And they're able to convince you of their abilities they're, by their pretending. And if, this is not unknown to the animal world. Um, we humans are not the only animals that are capable of pretending. After all, if you look at nature, you have various animals that pretend there's something else. Um, the walking stick, for example, pretends, or you can say that evolution has um, given it the abilities to pretend it's a stick, so predators will not um, take advantage of it. The predators will ignore it. Um, other animals have the ability to blend in with their environment. They pretend there's something else. Uh, there's several species of moths that when they extend their wings, they look like the eyes of an animal or a great insect looking back. And of course, for most predators, when they see that, they're going to back off because their predator's first instincts is that, hey, this is a greater prey than I can grab, and so I'm just going to stay away from it. So in a sense, I'm just pointing out here that the ability to pretend is hardwired into our genetic structure, and it's not unique to, unique to human beings. It um, develops with animals as well. So with that in mind, um, once again, that goes to the fact that there are genetic predispositions to white collar crime, but that's not the end of the behavior. So what is a, how does a white collar criminal find his mark? How do they find what they're looking for? Well, that can be multiple, multiple episodes in and of itself. Obviously, as I said, a white collar criminal is looking for somebody with money. Otherwise, what's the point? But um, they're looking for somebody who will reward their actions. Now, Having said that, of course, um, there are different ways of economic rewards. Um, if you read books or watch old watch movies about the time periods of the 20s, 30s, 40s, um, the idea of the boardwalk grifter is an old one. This is the kind of person who plays the game of three card Monty or the shells or somebody, a game basically where you convince a mark that it's easy to win. Um, just follow the shell, follow the pebble, follow the marble, and you win money. And the person is convinced they can actually do it. And the economic rewards are not very much, you know, a few bucks, I guess back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, maybe a nickel or a dime. But the economic reward is still there for the grifter, for the con man. They're not getting much from it, but they're still getting something. And so just because the economic payoff is very small doesn't mean that um, a white-collar criminal or a grifter will not use his talents to still get that person's money. Now, of course, when you compare it with something like, say, um, somebody who's scammed out of hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, yeah, that doesn't seem, compared to what a boardwalk grifter does, it doesn't seem like a whole lot. But still, we're looking once again at the fact that um, the, the white-collar grifter, the white-collar criminal, the grifter, is still out to get money. Um that monetary reward may not be very much, but still, that's ultimately their goal. So I guess we, we can like, wind up this session by saying that the mark of a white-collar criminal 
is someone who has money or has something that the white collar criminal wants. It may not be something which is immense in value. It may not be something which is um, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, but it's still something that the um, person wants. And once again, let's go back to the basic definition of a white collar criminal or a fraudster. This is somebody who is using confidence, inspiring confidence in themselves to other people so that that person will voluntarily turn over their money. It's not a robbery. It's not a burglary where somebody is using force or the threat of violent force to get what they want. They're using the confidence they inspire. So for our purposes, we can say that the mark, the target, the victim of a white-collar crime is somebody who is has something that the grifter wants. And that something is 99 times out of 100 economic. And so that economic factor may not be that great compared to others. Once again, you can have a small-time grifter. You can have a grifter or a white-collar criminal or fraudster who goes after millions of dollars. But there's some economic benefit into what the white-collar criminal wants. And finally, I'd like to end with what Dr. Kanikova once again has in her book which asks, what unites all of these marks then? And what unites all the victims of white-collar criminals? And it says, for Dr. Kanikova says very clearly, and I agree with her, they are human and humans are fallible. Confidence men trace upon certain weaknesses in human nature. Hence, until human nature changes perceptibly, there is little possibility that there will be a shortage of marks for con games. So I think that says it very clearly right there. I want to repeat once what I said at the beginning. Um, people who are victims of white-collar criminals are not stupid people. They are human beings. And every human being has a weakness, some kind of psychological weakness, which can be exploited by the right people. And a good con man knows how to exploit these weaknesses. And they will use their skills to take advantage of it. So that will end our second um podcast. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. Once again, if you have any questions, feel free to email me at gene at talsclawfirm.com. Once again, that's gene at talsclawfirm.com. I'm always happy to hear your comments and I look forward to talking with you in the next episode. Thank you.